this, uh, continuing this series of the, the Beatitudes, which means blessed or, or happy, and uh, we're looking at the first sermon that Jesus really preached, says that the, the most important, the best sermon ever preached on planet earth was Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at the first part of that, uh, the Beatitudes, of, and, and Jesus just starts right out of the gate about being blessed or uh, being happy, and everyone would probably admit they want to be happy. To be, to be blessed, and it's interesting how Jesus started off that way, and today we're looking at Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 8 specifically. It said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, for they shall see God. Blessed, happy are those who are pure in heart. So I've titled this sermon, Are You Willing to Put in the Work? Are You Willing to Put in the Work? There was a Mexican outlaw by the name of Jorge Ortega. Now, Ortega was coming across the border, and he was robbing banks. And finally, uh, Texas got tired of it. And so they sent the Texas Rangers to go and find him in this small town. One of the rangers happened to stumble across this small business, and in the business was Ortega. So he started talking to Ortega. He was holding him at gunpoint, and he said, Mr. Ortega, you have a choice. Either you tell us where all the money is, or I have to kill you right now. It's your choice. What he didn't realize was Ortega didn't know English, he didn't know what this guy was talking about. It became clearly and evident what was going on. And so finally the ranger was like, hey, is there anyone here that can interpret? So finally he finds someone and he comes in and he says, well, what do you want me to tell him? He said, I want you to tell him like he has a choice to make. Either he tells us where all the money is and we take it, we let him go free as long as he doesn't come into the U.S. or I've been ordered to kill him on sight. The interpreter turns to Ortega and he says, they tell me you got to tell us where the money is and if you do, you'll be set free as long as you don't go to the United States. If you don't tell us, he's going to shoot you cold dead. Ortega thought about it for a minute and he said, okay, all right, the money's down at the center of the square. There's a big white rock. If you roll that out, all the money is underneath it. So the ranger looked at the interpreter and said, what, what did he say? He says, I'm ready to die today, is what he told me. <laughs> so this guy was not pure in heart, the interpreter. Christianity in the U.S., I believe a lot of people are wondering this blessed and pure in heart and all these things that we're looking at, like, what? How does that apply to my life today? Like, what, what does this mean to me today? Like, maybe I put my faith and trust in Jesus at some point for my salvation, for forgiveness of my sin. But what about, like, today? Like, what does that impact my life from that moment until I go to see Jesus in heaven, right? Like, what is that? And I think a lot of people are asking that specific question how does this apply to my life? I think they're also asking the question of, 
how do we know that the truth is the truth? Like I have my phone, I have access to all of the data, information, YouTube videos, ever imaginable at the, at the tips of my fingers. And I've already come to the conclusion of what I already know. So how do I know this without a shadow of doubt? And how does this apply to my life? Again, Matthew 5, chapter 8. God, he, he wants you to be happy. He wants all of us to be happy. He wants us all to be blessed. And Jesus charted the way to a blessed life. We looked at poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, meekness as an outward expression of serving those around us, strength under power, serving God. And today we're looking at pure in heart. Now, pure in heart, it's really like a moral sense, a guiltlessness or a void of evil in our hearts, or sometimes it's referred to as our heart or our mind. It's the seat of our desires, our feelings, our affections. But it could also have a different meaning. It can be meaning a pure in heart means that our heart is not divided. Right? Anyone ever take anatomy like chambers of the heart? It's the same pure of the heart, like you only have one chamber. Like your heart is not divided. It's, it's solely seeking out God, to follow God, and, and to be sanctified, to go through the sanctification process, to become more like Christ and to be fully committed, like a pure at heart. There's only one chamber. It says, blessed are those who are pure at heart, for they will see God. Now, this doesn't mean like I see God walking around. It's more seeing in faith. That I, I see God in nature. Like I love to go on hikes in nature because I really feel like I see God. I feel like I see God in his, in his word. I feel like I see God in other people. Like we're all created in God's image. So it says the pure in heart, those that seek after God, that don't have a divided heart, will see God more in everything that we do. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 12, Paul talks about how we see God dimly, like in a mirror. Back then, mirrors were very dim. But that we will see God fully in, in heaven. But that we can see God, but yet it's dim. See God. Blessed are those pure in heart, for they will see God. Man and I went to a marriage conference a pastor's retreat in Dustin, one of our supporting churches, asked if we wanted to go. They'd pay for it. And we're like, hey, go to a hotel on the beach in Dustin for a pastor's retreat. I'm like, eh, you know, is the, is the Pope Catholic? Yeah, of course, yes, we'll, we will definitely go for sure. And so we went and uh, we had a good time. But it was interesting because when we went, we didn't know the group that was putting it on. And when we first arrived... I quickly realized that this was a group of people we were not used to being around, like very wealthy Christians, pastors of churches of like 17,000 people, and my reaction in the beginning was to be like skeptical, 
and not really judgy, but just skeptical and keeping my guard up and not, not really knowing what's going on. Did anyone else, like, your first reaction is to be a little skeptical of things? Like, I don't know if I trust this or not. I really need to understand exactly what's going on. And, and, and what I was doing, I was looking on the outside. Everything that I was seeing was on the outside. But what happened was, and I didn't ask Amanda permission for this. I hope it's okay. But Amanda, she got choked on a piece of steak. And we had to go to the ER and um, I gave her some medicine. It, it, it all worked out. So, sorry I didn't mention that. You're welcome. Well, anyway, so when we were at the ER, the people there that was putting it on and everyone that was there were, like, texting me and wanting to come by and wanting to, like, send us dinner that night when we got back because we hadn't eaten and, and all these things. And, and I quickly realized, like, inwardly, their heart, like, they truly cared they were all like shepherds, and, the, and, they, and they really cared for us. And it really did a mind shift in what I was thinking about, about them. And then I had kind of judged them wrongly, if you will. Jesus, he also rebuked the Pharisees who were judging on an outward appearance. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were judging those on an outward appearance and not based specifically on the heart. We see that in Matthew 23, verse 27 through 28. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, he's like, you guys are like a bunch of whitewashed tombs, is what he was calling them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been insulted and called a whitewashed tomb. So Probably not. You may not know what that means. But what that means was right during Passover, they would go out and they would wash all the tombs and make them really white, really bright, so they would really stand out. Because during Passover, you were not allowed to touch anything with death. You're not allowed to touch the tombs or you'd be defiled. So Jesus was saying that you on the outside, you look okay. You look, you look great, Pharisees. And this is how you're judging everyone else. But on the inside... You're dead. You're dead. You're like a bunch of whitewashed tombs. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was told by God, the Spirit of God came over the prophet Samuel. And he told Samuel, he said, Saul, who was the first king of the Israel, the nation of Israel, he said, Saul's not going to be king anymore. I'm going to have you anoint someone else. I'm tired of Saul. I want you to anoint someone else. And of course, Samuel was afraid, but he did what God told him to do. And he went to the house of Jesse. He said, go to the house of Jesse. He's got all of these sons. One of the sons is going to be anointed. He's going to be the next king. So Samuel goes into the house of Jesse, and he sees all the sons, and he looks at one of them, Eliab, and he says, that must be the one that God's going to anoint. He's, he's tall, he's handsome, he's strong, he's all of these things, and God told him, no, he's not the one. So what does God do? He has him bring seven sons in front of Samuel, and all of them, God says, that's not the one. And at the end of all of that, Samuel told Jesse, he says, 
do you have any more sons? He goes, well, I've got one more, but he, he's out with the sheep, and his name is David. So they said, well, go get him. And they come back, and God says, yep, that's the one. And Samuel anoints him, and he goes back to be with the sheep. But I want you to see in verse 7 what God says. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, and this was the the son that he thought was going to be anointed. He said, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. So do you think God's kingdom and the way that he thinks about things a little bit different than the way that we do. And it's the same thing about becoming pure of heart. Anyone remember the original Karate Kid movie? I remember going to that movie when I was a kid. My parents took us there and my brother and I were like karate chopping each other and kicking each other in the parking lot on the way on the way out after watching that movie and my parents were like, why did we bring these kids to this movie? They're just beating each other up now. That's what I remember of Karate Kid. But Daniel's son, right? He, he wanted to win the tournament. Like, there's these bad kids that beat him up, and now he wants to win the tournament. And so he finds Mr. Miyagi. And what does Mr. Miyagi tell him to do? Wax car. Sand floor. Paint fence. Daniel's son, he eventually, after like, what was it, four days, he got tired of this. Mr. Maggie's going fishing. He's like, hey, dude, I'm tired of doing all your chores. I don't know what's happening here. I'm getting tired. I'm getting frustrated. I don't understand. All I want to do is beat these guys up. That's all I want. Mr. Miyagi said, okay, show me paint fence. He's like, come on, show me paint fence. And he does the whole like, you know, like, fixes his shoulder, and Mr. Miyagi starts throwing punches at him, and he's like, you know, like blocking all the different things. And a lot of times we are like Danielson. We want to know what God is doing in our lives. Why in the world am I here? What am I doing? Is this really going to pay off? Like, I'm not seeing the joy or the blessedness and all these things that Jesus is talking about, and I don't understand, and we're frustrated as Christians, and we just want to quit because we don't see the purpose or the meaning of it. What did Mr. Miyagi say? He said, Show me these things that you've been doing that you didn't understand the importance of. And what does he say at the end? He says, as he goes fishing, he says, come back tomorrow. That's what Jesus tells us to do is just keep showing up. Just keep following him, even if it doesn't make sense. That that pure in heart is a devotion to Christ, and it takes time. It takes commitment. It takes practice. It takes living in fellowship with other believers. We have no idea why God has us where we are doing what we are doing. But just like David, after he got anointed, he went back to the sheep. Supposed to be the king. God says, just be faithful where you are. Be 
can trust God. Just be faithful. The biggest risk, and I want you to listen to this, the biggest risk of you not reaching your God potential, like ultimately doing what God wants you to do is if you stop seeking God. To think of the things that you know could possibly be wrong, just as I was thinking about the people that we were with, like I was wrong. To continue to follow God and know like some of the things that I think could be possibly wrong, but I'm willing to follow God. I read a lot of uh, Eugene Peterson. Um, he was a Presbyterian church planter and wrote a lot back in the day. I just really love his writing, his Christian writing. And one of the books I was reading uh, last week, he said this. He said, it is not difficult to get a person interested in the gospel of Jesus, but it is terrifically difficult to sustain their interest. And I believe to to have a pure heart, it, it takes a long time of just following Jesus. To have a pure heart devoted fully, not divided, fully devoted to God. And a lot of times, especially as Americans, we want instant gratification. We want instant results. It's just not the way that it works in the kingdom a lot of times. Yes, become a believer and be baptized and all that stuff. Like A lot of times that is instantaneous, but our growth takes time. I heard an analogy last week at the conference. They said, man, if I go, I see that light on at Krispy Kreme, and I go, and it's, it's cheaper to actually get a bunch, right? cheaper per donut to get a whole dozen. He says, what if I ate that whole box? Just sit down and just ate the whole thing. He goes, yeah, I'd probably feel kind of cruddy that, that evening. But overall results, it wouldn't be so bad. Like, I don't think I'd really, like, gain anything, not too much. But what if you did that every day for two years? It would be a dramatic change. Right? We, we want to eat one Krispy Kreme and be like, like, oh, yep, I see it. I shouldn't be doing that all the time. That's the way we want it. But in reality, it takes time. It's the same thing with our walk with God. We want, we want results now. Like, I want to be happy today. Like, it's not working. It just takes, it takes time. It takes time. Same with pure in heart. Again, Eugene Peterson, he said, there is a great market for religious experience. He called it the Christian tourist mindset. But there's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. He called it the long apprenticeship with Christ. The long apprenticeship with Christ is pure in heart, or the Bible would call Holiness. Seek after holiness. And it could take years of long obedience. But the results are amazing. The results are amazing. So for the application for today, if you want purity of heart... To see God more than you have ever seen him, it, it takes an intimate relationship. 
right? That's really what it's about, an intimate relationship with Christ. We were walking on the beach, Amanda and I, and we were just taking a stroll, and we happened across, as you would normally think, a family that was trying to take a picture. It was two ladies and, and two younger ladies, and of course they said, will you, will you take our picture? Well, yeah, of course. And so we stopped and took their picture, and we just struck up a conversation. It was two aunts had taken their nieces on spring break, and the nieces were, are currently in college in Tennessee. And so we struck up a conversation had a lot of commonalities and different backgrounds and different things. So we just started talking, and she asked me, she's like, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor in St. Louis area. And she said, oh, that's really good. She said, these, these girls were asking all these questions about God last night, and I didn't know what to tell them. We stayed up late last night talking. She said, would you talk to them? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. This is awesome. And so I was just talking with them and bringing up verses and different things. And they're like, yeah, I know where that is. That's chapter, you know, this book and this chapter, and this is what, the, you know, this is what we read. Like, we grew up in a Catholic school and different things. We, different Christian schools, we know all this stuff. I said, okay, well, then what's the, what's the dilemma then? I don't know. And, and she, the girls were like, or young ladies, they were like, we just don't know how this applies to our life today. We just don't know. Like, how, how, do, how does this apply to my life? What do I do with this? Like, I don't even know how this applies to my everyday life. And I told them, it's, it's not about facts and, and information you have. It's about a relationship. Like, it's about a relationship with God that you, you live, you talk with him, you enjoy him, you're devoted Every day. And I, and I said, that gives you purpose and hope and joy and, and peace and all the fruits of the Spirit. And I said, but it really, it helps. I mean, God has a purpose for you. Like every one of us, he has a very specific purpose for your life. And you get to have a relationship with him, which brings you hope and, and all the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, steadfast, all that stuff. Which is great. Like We want to live that way. We want to be happy. I said, but until you know it's a relationship and God has a specific purpose for you, like it's not going to make sense. I said, once you discover, that's what we say, finding our true life in Christ. Like Once you discover your purpose that God has for you on this earth, so your very specific purpose, man, what joy that brings. And what hope that that brings. And that's what we have to tell people. People that are searching for, how does this apply to my life? We have to be able to tell them that. We have to be living that. So number two, we have to stop trying to fix everyone and everything. So what I want you to do is, I want you to repeat after me. I, state your name. I was waiting to see if someone said, I state my name. <laughs> I, your name, okay, do solemnly swear by the power invested in me to who it may concern, do hereby confess I am not the general manager of the universe. There's only one general manager of the universe, and it's not me. So help me God. There's, a, there's, only two, there's, only two, there's only two people that can straighten people out. 
one is God and you're not him, and the other one's a mortician and you're not a mortician. So stop trying to fix everyone and everything. Like you watch the news, like everything's crazy. Maybe Jesus is coming tomorrow because it seems like everything's just nutso right now all the time. It is never ending. You can't fix the world. You're not the general manager. Only God can do that. And what happens, I think, if we, if, if we focus on people's problems that we can't fix, the news and politics and global warming and all these other things that are going on, if we focus on those things that we can't even fix at all anyway, it's going to rob you of your joy. Right? If you're consumed about all of these problems but there's never a solution, you're just going to be stressed, anxious. I'm not saying don't follow the news. Like, I follow the news. I want to be informed. But if you're worried about things that you have no control over anyway, it's going to cause you to be anxious, and you're going to lose your joy. Now, going back to the, the question that these teenagers had, what does this mean in my life? One thing that we should do as Christians is be able to show people the joy that we have. If we're concerned about all these things we have no control over and we don't have any joy, then we're not being very good witnesses for others. David, after he had committed adultery and murder in Psalm 51, he cried out to God and forgive me. And he said, create in me, Lord, a pure heart, a pure heart. And that is my prayer for you and for me, is that we, we would have a pure heart and that people would see it. And they would say, okay, I, I kind of get like why that person's a Christian and, and why it would matter to me in my life today. I, I see them as joyful. I see them as no matter what's going on, like I see them working for God and they're joyful and they're, they're happy. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart to only please you. That is a pure heart. It's to search and to work towards pleasing only God. So I'm going to shift gears here just a minute. Um, I want to look at Revelation 6, verse 12 through 17. Now, <clears throat> this is talking about the, the second coming, the coming of, of Christ. Some would say, I'm in the camp, that the church is raptured, and, and some would say it's not, that the church is here. That's a sermon for a different day. But what I want to read here is verse 12 through 17 about the second coming it says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the gen generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone Slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, follow us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, 
that is Christ. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? One of my kids, I won't say who it was, um, I felt like I had just went totally out of my way every day to help them, to love them, and to help them do certain things. And after like a couple of months of that, I just didn't feel like they were appreciating it. And they weren't doing what I needed them to do after all this work of getting all this stuff done. And all of a sudden, it was like I was angry. I was angry at the unconditional love that I was showing and that I was serving them. And then they weren't reciprocating. They were just ignoring it. They weren't living up to their end. They could care less. And I found myself upset and angry with them. And I realized later it was because I loved them so much and I wanted to help them and do things and they just ignored it over and over and over. And when I got upset, it was kind of like a righteous upset. Like it was okay to be upset. And when we see God here in in his wrath, in that verse at the end it says, and from the wrath of the Lamb, it's really a, a righteous wrath of God. His love for us is shown to us daily. It was shown to us through Jesus and his life and his sacrifice and his death on the cross of God showing his love to us. To every day. But most people don't see it. They ignore it. They don't appreciate it. And there's going to be a time that Jesus says, it's enough. It's over. And then he judges. It's a, it's a righteous, it's, it's out of love, wrath, that God shows to the earth and as he returns. And here, sinners apart from God, they don't fear death. They fear seeing the face of God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in heart. Those that see God for who he is. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. It's a shift in relationship to to a a father in heaven who who, who is wrathful and judging then to a relationship with a, a father who is heaven who loves us. It's a shift in relationship to, to become pure in heart, to put our faith and trust in Jesus, to be able to see God and to know how much He loves you. It's everything. It's everything. And when we know that, we, we seek Him. And when we trust Him, knowing what He's doing in our lives, it may not make sense right now, but that we trust Him. We know that He loves us. He has our best interests at heart. And that one day it'll make sense. He says, just be faithful where you are. Seek me. Love me. Have joy around those that are around you. 
teach them and tell them why finding their purpose on earth is so important and having a relationship with God is so important and how it applies to their life today. And if you don't know what that is, I'm going to pray for you in a minute. And if you've never put your faith and trust in in Jesus, I'm going to pray for you and you can pray along with me as well. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray just as David did, Lord, that you would give us a clean heart, a pure heart, an undivided heart. Lord, that all that we are, all of who we are, would be devoted to you because of your love for us. I pray every single person here today knows how much you love us. Lord, we ask you to do that work within us. Just as David cried out and he prayed, he knew he couldn't do it without you. Lord, do that work within us. Lord, help us to not be whitewashed tombs. Just dead on the out, in the inside. Lord, help us to see hearts and and, and people from the inside let, them, let us help us to see the people that you love that are all around us that are looking for truth. Help us, Lord, give us wisdom in what to say to those that are searching about how do I apply, how does this apply to my life today? Your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to follow you, seek after you with all that we are. Lord, we desire to see you more all around us. Lord, give us eyes to see. And Lord, for those that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that they cry out to you, Lord, that I'm a sinner. I know that separates me from you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want a relationship with you. I want to put my faith in your son, Jesus. I want to make him Lord of my life. I want to follow him no matter what the cost. Lord, help me to do that. Help me to trust you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.